I think it's unhealthy to think of our businesses as our baby. There are businesses that you need to let go. You need to send them into foster care. You need to kill that business. If it's your baby, none of those are options. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. And today I feature someone, man, he's got this awesome new book that encompasses a, I I love the philosophy. It's a great philosophy and it's one that, you know, as entrepreneurs, especially we could embrace because I know we're all, we look back, we go, why did I ever become an entrepreneur? Well, I want to do my own thing on my own timeline. I'm tired of putting in 80 hours a week at the office. And now we find ourselves putting 100 hours a week in at the house or at the office that we have. So it kind of backfires on us to a certain extent. And Joe is going to talk to us today about that. So Joe Sanak is my guest. Joe, back in 2012, launched Practice of the Practice to blog about what he was learning about business, marketing, and private practice. Since then, his income has gone up over 2,000%. In 2019, Joe sold his private practice. He is a keynote and TEDx speaker, which was a great speech. I watched that. That was awesome. He's a business consultant and a podcaster. Joe has the number one podcast for counselors, the Practice of the Practice podcast, with interviews with heavy hitters like Pat Flynn, John Lee Dumas, and Lewis Howes. Joe is a writer for Psych Central and has been featured on the Huffington Post, Forbes, Good Magazine, Reader's Digest, and Entrepreneur on Fire, as well as Yahoo News. He is the author of five books and has been named a top therapist resource for his podcast, blogging, and consultant services. So with that amazing introduction, Joe, welcome to the Readily Random Podcast. Larry, that was an amazing introduction. Thanks so much, man. (laughs) (laughs) Got to toot my own horn a little bit there. I think I read that pretty well. You you did. You should do this professionally. (laughs) You know, I've I've had the idea once or twice, so it's got to... Kind of fun, man. So, Joe, seriously, man, welcome to the show. I appreciate your patience today. As you know, I've got uh, some remodeling going on here at the office slash house, and uh, no amount of room treatment is going to drown out these wonderful contractors, but we're going to do our best today, so we'll, we'll see what, what, what happens. But thanks for taking the time out of your day to join me, man. Yeah, for sure. Glad we can not be paralyzed by perfection and just get some things done. You know, I love that. Not paralyzed by perfection, because as creators, that tends to be one of our biggest holdups, at least mine. I'm the type of guy that when I'm doing something, especially graphically, I got to have every pixel in place, man. So what's your thoughts on how we avoid that, man? I mean, one thing is I've started putting space between me and the work in a lot of ways to really ask myself, what's the highest use of my time? And so a number of years ago, I'm like you, I'm a creative, I want to be engaging. And I realized every podcast episode I did would take two or three hours because I would be designing the perfect, you know, image to go with it and all these things. And when I hired a graphic designer to do those images, that was so hard for me because I enjoyed it so much. But if you really look at it, is that the highest, best use of my time to be designing every single image? No. Now I can, in, like in an hour, I just, you know, the hour before here, uh, I do this Ask Joe show that's all about private practice and kind of marketing. People will um, ask a question. So we do three shows a week. And one of those is the Ask Joe episodes. So I recorded four of those in 45 minutes. And it's like, how great is wow. that to just get the question, record it, hand it off to the audio engineer, hand it off to the visual designer. And 
they've nailed the the look of practice of the practice. And so sure, artistically, I loved doing that. But now at the end of the day, I go and I do watercolors and I just do them for fun, you know? And so it's like, I still get the artistic stuff, but it's not always tied to the business. And so letting go as a creator, I think is one of those key things that we can talk about. How then when you're in the business, you're just absolutely killing it and doing just the things you can do. Like I can't send my director of details, Jess, to come do an interview with you. Like you'd hang up on her because Joe's not showing up. You'd probably be nice about it because you're a nice guy, but you'd be like, where's Joe, you know? And so I can't outsource that, but there are so many other things that I think we think I have to be the one that does this because we won't like ungrip our power from it. And we've put so much of our ego into it that the reality is there's probably 20% of what you do that is the stuff that only you can do. And the rest you should be either outsourcing, eliminating, getting rid of so that you can have more free time to have that creative energy go, to slow down, to be able to actually make amazing content when you show up because you're not stressed out and maxed out. Yeah, and that's where I struggle the most. I mean, it's like you're, it's like this is a therapy session. It's like, yeah, because <laughs> this is exactly what Lair needs to hear. It's been maybe a year since I hired editors for the podcast. And I got to be honest, the first one I hired, although great editor, I, I let him go pretty quick because I got to listen. You know, I was like, man, that's not the way I would do that. That's not the way that I would mix those two tracks. That's not the way that I would cut that in. This isn't the way that Larry wants it done. This isn't going to work. It worked. The, the editor did a great job, but just because it wasn't necessarily the exact way that I would do it, I, I kind of let him go. So I hired some new editors, right? Got, some, got new editors. They did a great job as well, but I stopped using them for a while, even though I had bought a year of their services in advance, right? So they did some episodes and I went back to editing myself because it was my way, it's my way, it's my way. They can't do it like I do it. And that's right. They don't do it like I do it. They do it the way they do it. But the way they do it is still very good. It's exceptional, as a matter of fact. And then once I realized that, man, I'm spending way too much time looking at all these little things when I could, I've already paid for the services. Why am I not using them? <laughs> so letting go is tough, man. It can be so, so tough, especially as creatives, because, I mean, we put our heart and soul into everything that we do. And even those that aren't creatives, that are entrepreneurs, their businesses are their babies. So how do we start taking those first initial steps to realize that, you know, our energies may need to be put in a different direction? Well, I think first starting out with, yes, we do need to let go of more of that control, but also a lot of us fear feedback, giving feedback. We wait till we're just going to fire someone. Whereas within my business, feedback is an ongoing thing. So for example, my director of details, She's checking my email all day long, every day. She then, you know, is replying for me and says, hey, this is Jess, Joe's director of details. And then she stars the emails that I need to read. But then there's things that happen. Like when my attorney emails me and she doesn't like send me a text, I say to her, listen, if, if my attorney emails me, text me every single time. Hey, you know, you know, if there's something about the kid's school, just put it in the calendar. So there's this ongoing learning and feedback that just becomes a part of our culture. So yeah, maybe day one, she wouldn't check email like I would, but then every single time that she could have sent an email, I just blind CC'd her so that then she learned, oh, Joe just BCC'd me. That means I should have done this email. So now she's learning over time. She's getting better at it. And that feedback, if that just becomes part of it, then it's not like, okay, I need to talk to you about this. Like there's a big deal right now because you screwed up. No, it's, you aren't going to do it like I do it. And I want you to learn to do it better and better. And so that at some point you actually exceed my abilities because that's what we really want. 
I want to have my designer exceed my abilities, which now that my designer, I want my director of details to be more on top of my schedule than I am, which she is. So, but over time we've set up systems like on Sunday night before the next week, if there's anything that's abnormal in that week, I want her to text me. So she'll look at the schedule and say, Oh, you have a 6 p.m. podcast on Tuesday. Usually you don't work past four. I just want that to be on your radar so you don't no show to this podcast. So then you're creating these systems over time. So then it actually flows like it should. The other thing that I would address is I think it's unhealthy to think of our businesses as our baby. I think that's an improper metaphor because if you have a child, you're going to love that unconditionally, hopefully, unless you're a crappy parent. Uh, you're going to love that child unconditionally. You're going to grow with them. But it's like, there are businesses that you need to let go. You need to send them into foster care. You need to kill that business. Like if it's your baby, none of those are options. And so when we put so much ego into our business that we call it our baby, like that just in our brains is a metaphor we shouldn't be using. And so let's just step back from that and say, I want to be able to kill my business. I never want to kill my kid. So let's just say that like, like calling it our baby is kind of a ridiculous metaphor that we hear all the time, but we never step back and say like, does that even make sense? I think on that grand scheme of things, no, you're right. It doesn't make sense. But we still put so much energy and so much passion into it that we don't want to kill it. And we find ourselves many times killing relationships, killing our social lives, killing our own pleasurable activities like your watercolors that you mentioned. How do we change that mentality? How do we change that thought process? Because even if we don't refer to it as our baby, which I can kind of definitely get on, get on board that train there, we're still going to hold it in such high regard. I mean, a lot of business owners hold it in higher regard than religion. It is their religion. So how do we change that mentality? It's, it's been drilled into us for decades and decades and decades. How do we change that now? Yeah. So I think for us to understand where we're at now and where we need to move forward, we have to go back just a little bit. So let's go back 4,000 years or so to the Babylonians. So the Babylonians made up the seven-day week. They literally just came up with it because the Earth, the Moon, the Sun, Mercury, Venus, Mars, and Jupiter, seven celestial things is what they saw in the sky and said, those are the biggest things. Let's have a seven-day week. The Egyptians, they had an eight-day week. The Romans had a 10-day week. It wasn't until around 300 when the Roman emperor converted to Christianity, which, mind you, the seven-day week in Christianity and the Torah was written down in Babylon when the Jews were in exile. So the seven-day week was completely made up. And so if we just start with, okay, this thing that we think is just so secure is actually made up. It doesn't make any sense. You know, the sun, we go around the sun once, that takes a year. Okay, that makes sense. The earth spins for a day, that makes sense. There's nothing in nature that says we need a seven-day week. In fact, we could have had a five-day week and had 73 weeks in a year. So we'll start with that. Now fast forward to the 1800s, early 1900s. The average person was working 10 to 14 hours a day six to seven days a week. They were working all the time. And then in 1926, Henry Ford instituted the 40-hour work week to sell more cars to his people. Because he said, people are not going to want to get to Ford faster in a car. They don't want to get to work faster. They're not going to pay for that. But if they have a weekend where they get to see their friends and their family and go recreate, they'll buy a car. And so he did it to sell more cars to Ford employees. So again, this thing that we think the 40-hour work week, it's been around forever. The industrialists gave it to us. It was a gift at that time, going from 10 to 14 hour days, six or seven days a week, who wouldn't want to go to a 40 hour work week? But then let's look at, do we still think like the industrialists? Do we think of people as machines? Do we think that the only value they have is their mechanics within an assembly line? No, we have outgrown the industrialists. So I would actually argue to your question, 
that what we see when people call their businesses babies, when they put it higher than religion, all those different things, is that they still have the industrialist mindset. And the pandemic of 2020 showed us worldwide that we can do work differently. I mean, we see this great resignation happening right now where people aren't going back to work. They're saying, screw this. I am not going to go back to this toxic environment because yeah. we know that the industrialist way of living is dead and there's a new evolutionary way of looking at business that actually is going to be more productive, more creative and give us better outcomes. It's interesting because I see that taking place. My wife, she's still, you know, I just left a company the first of this year, January 4th of this year to do podcasting and content creation full time. My wife, she still works for the same company. We met there. I was there 21 years. She's been there 20 years. And you're right on, you know, with the pandemic, they're working half the week from home and half the week in the office. And so we're seeing that evolution and they had to implement it going forward, even though everybody's trying to make that transition back. I know the old Delta variant, it's got some second thoughts on the whole process, but everybody's trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. But the feedback they got was people aren't going to go back to the office. They're not going to do that 40 days or 40 hours a, a week work schedule. They're not going to stay in that toxic environment that they hate and be under the thumbnail of, of, of their bosses and their superiors all of the time. So I can see that taking place and I can see that adjustment happening from a corporate perspective, but how do we adjust to that from an entrepreneurial perspective? Because here we are, we don't have anybody breathing down our necks. We hopefully have enough self-discipline to push ourselves and drive ourselves each and every day. But as I mentioned, I think while we were talking before we hit record, I find myself working all the time now. And there's always that counter though. Oh, it's not work because it's what I love. Well, yeah, it's what I love, but guess what? I like watching superhero movies too. <laughs> and there's not a lot of time for superhero movies now that I'm doing this thing full time. So how do we as entrepreneurs start making that mind shift? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. I think you you tap into the, the biggest problem with it and it's that we're doing work that we love. We're doing work that we enjoy. There's kind of some small things that we can do and there's some big things that we can do. So first understanding that our most creative work, our best work, doesn't come when we're stressed out and maxed out and not watching superhero movies. It, it comes when we're grounded, when we have those relationships, when we're, when we slowed down. I host an event every summer called Slowdown School and it's for entrepreneurs that are doing some like amazing work. They fly into Northern Michigan. I pick them up in a big yellow school. Well, I don't pick them up. I have a driver that <laughs> drives the school. I'm not also a bus driver. <laughs> so, um, so, hey, it's just me, your consultant and bus hey, driver. Jim. Like an SNL skit or something. So we, we pick them up in a big yellow school bus and drive out to Lake Michigan and we're on this beautiful campus right on the water. And I bring in an executive chef that has partnerships with farmers. We have yoga teachers and massage therapists. Therapist. And for two days, we just slow down. We go hiking, we get massages, we have a yoga teacher teach us all these things. We're skipping stones on the beach and we genuinely turn our brains off for two days. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday morning, we run full tilt towards their business, full on sprints. There's this one guy, Michael Glavin, who we talk about in the book. And he had a couples counseling practice in the Chicagoland area and had many other clinicians that worked for him. And he had a really unique and effective model for couples therapy. And he had been in a mastermind group with me that I was leading and he'd have a hot seat. And then, you know, six weeks later, he'd have another hot seat. And it was always kind of the same thing. I want to write a book that brings my model together. And he just wouldn't get the work done. Uh, he was learning things, but he would get sucked back into the practice. And so he's at slowdown school. We slow down for two days and he's just really like, we're skipping stones and hanging out. And then Wednesday morning, I teach him this whole sprint structure, the whole group. 
And then we ring a bell, they go off for 20 minutes, and then they come back and report out. In 20 minutes, he got nine chapters of a book sketched out with five bullet points under every single one. And, and so when people can start to tap into their sprint type after slowing down, it's amazing what you can get done. I mean, this thing that had hung over his head for months, finally, he just runs full tilt towards it in 20 minutes. And so when we start to use the neuro research and use the research studies to help inform how we work, we can get more done in a shorter period of time. And then we need to have those hard boundaries and soft boundaries that make it that we don't allow that work to creep into the other areas. So for me, a hard boundary might be that on Fridays, if I had a new consulting client that said, I can only see you on Fridays, I'm going to say, no, I wrote a book about not working on Fridays. Like I'm not going to see you as a client every Friday. Whereas if there's a fire that explodes in my business on a Friday morning and my director of details texts me about it, I'm going to put the fire out. I'm not going to be like, sorry, I'll talk to you on Monday, let things burn down. I'm going to actually like put it out. And then maybe on Monday we'll reverse engineer what happened here. Why was I involved with this? Uh, so we need to have those hard boundaries and soft boundaries to know when we can tell our brains, okay, it's time to pause. I, I personally have the hardest time pausing. You know, I've got several joint venture partners as well that are coming at me going, man, you've got to start meditating. You need to start meditating. And in watching your TEDx talk, I noticed that you had mentioned that the top executives all had one thing in common after Tim Ferriss's new book. I can't remember the name of his book off the top of my head. That's embarrassing. Tools of Titans. There it is right there, where <laughs> there were there were hundreds of top executives that were interviewed. And the one thing they had in common was that they all meditated at some point or they had a meditative practice that they exercised at some point throughout the day. How critical is that really? I mean, is that part of, is that what helped you lay the foundation? Because I personally, and maybe my, it's just my concept of meditation because I have a hard time and I think there may be some others out there as well. I have a hard time with anything that's, that's structured and, you know, it's time to cross my legs and touch my my middle finger to my thumb and, and meditate, whatever it may be. I have a hard time doing that without feeling cheesy as can be. So how do we get past that? That is that ego? Is that just toxic masculinity? What, what is going on there? Well, so let's just start with that. The industrialists gave us prescriptive blueprints. And so they taught us that here's how you do it or you're out. So if you meditate, you're in, if you don't meditate, you're out. So I would actually challenge that that's the only way. And so I would actually start with, Larry, if you felt more relaxed after a weekend, what would you have either accomplished? What would you have completed? What would you have done for fun? Like, what are like three things that you would either add to your schedule or remove from your schedule if this coming weekend was going to be more set up for having relaxed? Oh, I can't even, I, I couldn't even begin to answer that because uh, I have no idea. Well, I mean, you said superhero movies. Like if you watched one superhero movie this weekend, would you feel better? I'd probably catch up on Titans or something, you know, season three okay. just dropped. So I'd probably catch up. <laughs> right. Y'all don't need to know that I watch Titans because that's really a terrible show, but it's a guilty pleasure. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but let's use that as an example. You have a guilty pleasure. There's some guilt that's associated with that, that, oh, I should be doing something with, with my friends. I should be doing these other things. I should be productive. Okay. What if I said, I give you permission to watch Titans this weekend? What would you emotionally have to do if we step back from that to allow yourself to do that guilt-free? So then what are things that we can put in place to say, here's when the week ends. And so even just saying, okay, you can watch an episode of Titans or two or three. Now let's watch the emotions that come up around it. Is it that I feel anxiety, like I should be working on the weekend? Okay, maybe that's because you're overvaluing work. 
is it because you feel like you should be doing something productive around the house, like mowing the lawn or, you know, scheduling with the contractors? There are those things that are just adulting that aren't fun, but I think we oftentimes avoid those things that we really want to do during our downtime and we don't block those in. And so the more that we can start to block in those things that really bring us that kind of slowing down, the easier it is to avoid work. So just as an example, every Wednesday, I have a non-negotiable. I'm part of an improv troupe. And so every Wednesday night, I go and I do improv and I laugh harder than I do the rest of the week. I forget about the world's problems. I forget about business. I have to just be fully present and try to make other funny people laugh. It's ridiculous. Sometimes I fall flat on my face. Sometimes I'm really funny, but it's a thing that is locked into my schedule that even yesterday I got my kids at five o'clock and my dad came over at 545 and I'm like, sorry, I know I haven't seen you in a week, but I'm going to improv. And so it's like, they even know that I'm going to be a better dad. I'm going to be happier if I give myself that space. And so if we can put some blocks into our slowing down, then we start to see that, wow, on Monday when I'm ready to get to work, like it just flows so much faster because my brain isn't so stressed out anymore. I think that's tough as an entrepreneur. I think individual speaking here, the stressors are a lot higher as an entrepreneur than they are when you've got that guaranteed paycheck coming every two weeks or every Friday or whatever your pay schedule is. And it's much more difficult to allow yourself that pleasure, that downtime, because even the only thing that I plan my life around really is the ultimate fighting championship. Okay. <laughs> I've watched every UFC since 1993. Haven't missed a one life marriage, everything revolves around the fights. But I find myself even today working during the fights. I'll watch the fight. Then while we have a little after fight and between the next fight, I'm doing some work. I'm working on a course or I'm working on a, a write-up for an article or doing whatever I may be doing. You seem to have really been able to isolate how to put those barriers up and how to put those walls up and have that separation of work and enjoyment. And you're getting more fulfillment and Based on what I'm seeing, you're also being more productive. You're making greater strides in your business. Your business is growing exponentially. And you're, you're continuing to evolve both personally and professionally. Why can't the average cat do that? Yeah, I think we're just not taught a lot of these things. Even looking at how we work. So like, say we looked at the amount of actual minutes that you worked between fights. Say it was 90 minutes, you know, between these fights. Like, are those 90 minutes as productive as if you had dedicated time before or after the fights to, to dive in? Or is it, does it have more mistakes because you're kind of jumping in, jumping out? So I'd want to start to evaluate just in the way that you even work between fights to say, is that the most productive? Because once we start to learn certain things about how to get back into flow state, how to use our environment in different ways, we actually get way more done. So for example, while I was writing Thursday is the new Friday, I wrote it every single Thursday. Um, the week before, I would sketch out on a whiteboard what the next week's chapter is. So I'm using the neuroscience to allow my subconscious to be looking at it, thinking about it, wondering about it. I'm not thinking about it nonstop over that week, but you know, in the same way that you dream about things that you've been working on during the day, your brain still works on things if it knows there's this project coming up. So I'm using the neuroscience to allow it to kind of simmer there for a week. 
So Tuesday, Thursday morning, I then would not look at my phone. I would not look at news. I would not look at texts. I wouldn't look at email. So I protected my brain. So that's really important when you're going into this work, when you're coming out of slowing down. As well, I'd have a healthy breakfast, healthy smoothie, have some coffee and green tea, like all the drinks are ready. And then I would set up my office in a way to trigger my brain to get into flow state faster. So one thing you can do is to have different environments for different tasks. So for example, I was in this office writing that you can see on the video that it's a very white office, has shiplap and has, has a chair. I would move the chair to a different part of the room. I would change the lighting to be a dimmer lighting. I would use some Bose noise canceling headphones that during that time, the only time I wore them was when I was writing. I'd use my AirPods for everything else. And then I turned on a playlist that was specific to writing. So I'm using all these parts of my environment to trigger my brain that it's writing mode. See, our brains are still super old. Our technology has evolved quickly, but our brains are still really old where if it's a new environment or it's a environment it knows, it, you can train it to go into different states. So right away, I was able to jump right into that writing mode faster than if I just kind of came to a blank screen. And so when we start to learn these different techniques, it allows us, instead of feeling like we're just always hustling, always trying to get things done, always trying to keep up, we can actually say, what's the dedicated time that I'm gonna just kill it? I'm gonna absolutely kill it. I'm gonna sprint. I'm gonna use my sprint type in the way that I know but I'm going to also slow down really hard so that when I'm ready to work, there's going to be this pent up energy that's just ready to explode. And so once you start to see that happen over and over, you're like, why did I ever work in this old way before? It felt crappy. It felt yucky. It's not sustainable. I knew I was headed to burnout, but I didn't know what to do. And so people just aren't taught a lot of these techniques. And also the science, I don't think over the last 20 years really knew these techniques. And so, so much is emerging, even in the last few years, it's like now is the time for us to start to implement this and to not be as stressed out. I think that's interesting because I see that evolution in me. You, you mentioned the whiteboard that I literally, I wish I could move my camera, but if I do, it's going to take me forever to get it back in position here. So, so <laughs> but I literally just redid the studio because I don't do a lot of work in the studio. Most of the time it's recording only. But this is really home base right here for everything that takes place. But all my post-production and all my real creativity goes on my office, which is in another room in the house. But I literally just rearranged the entire studio off camera here and installed a whiteboard so I could start mapping things out and have them right there. So I'm not sitting here going, okay, what, okay, what, okay, what next? Okay, what? It's all right there. That is so amazing that you said that that was what you were doing because it's not even a week old. It's brand new. I just entered into that phase where I'm starting and I'm learning, okay, here, I need this now. I need this to help guide me. I need this so I can not be distracted with all this nonsense that's taking up all this space in the old brain here. I can put it on a whiteboard and I can just look over there and go, oh yeah, I got that. Okay, cool. And move forward from there. Yeah. I think it's so interesting as we start to learn these techniques and implement them, how we just start to see, wow, this is a step forward for me in so many different ways. Tell me more about the book, man. Thursday is the new Friday. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So the, the book, we start out with kind of deconstructing time, really looking at how did we even get here? So some of the things I mentioned earlier about the 40-hour work week, the seven days, there's also some other background that I think it's just important to say, we made this up and we can change this. We are the post-pandemic generation that gets to decide what work looks like moving forward. We can either go back to the industrialists or we can reinvent society. And I believe that there's a better way and the reinvention of society is on our generation. We have this window of time post-pandemic, hopefully post-pandemic, we'll see if we keep going in and out of them, um, that, that, we get to like, that we get to say, what do we want moving forward? 
So we start with that. The next section is your internal inclinations. And I start internally because so often these productivity books start with, you know, here's the five ways to do this. It's so prescriptive. And instead of saying, okay, we got to start with your insides first and get that right before we ever say, here's the techniques. And so there's actually three internal inclinations that research shows that top performers have naturally. And if you don't have these, that doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means we got to know kind of your starting point. So the first one is curiosity. The second one is an outsider perspective. And the third one is an ability to move on it. So if we just like think about curiosity for a minute, you know, whenever I was entering into a chapter, I'd kind of step back from the topic and say, if I was just starting from scratch, like what comes to mind when I say curiosity? Well, right away it was curiosity killed the cat. Well, it's like, where did that come from? Well, it actually came from a 1910 Washington Post front page headline that said curiosity killed the cat. There was this cat that got stuck in a chimney in the DC area. It was like national news. So it was this like really slow news week or they had nothing going on in the early 1900s. Uh, so this cat's in the chimney and finally the cat, they find the cat dead in the chimney and it says curiosity killed the cat. But think about that for a second. We're teaching our kids and ourselves that if you're curious, you're going to die. Like if you go try to figure something out, you're going to die. But that's not how kids act. I mean, just the other day, my two daughters who are six and 10, and then my nieces who are three and five were outside playing and they found a dead mouse. And they all three were like standing around this dead mouse, looking at it like, oh, what is it? Like, what's gonna happen? Do you think an owl will eat it? Should we put it in the woods? Should we bury it? They had all these questions. And curiosity is saying, that's interesting. Why, why did that happen? What's happening next? So if we say do a Facebook ads campaign, we drop a thousand dollars on it and then it's a total bust. And we're like, I got zero leads from that. Someone with a pass fail mentality is gonna say, I totally failed at Facebook ads. What am I doing here? But someone that's curious says, okay, I learned something about my audience. What can I learn here? What can adapt? What can grow from this? So the next one that we look at is an outsider's perspective. And the research shows that outsiders actually have statistically more insight than the insiders in situations. They also have more influence. And so there was this study that they did that was, uh, it was called the blue green study. And so they brought together six to eight people in a room and they'd hold up different colors and they'd say, that's blue, that's green. And they'd have ones that were kind of bluish green and the group would all kind of say what they thought. Then for the second part of the study, they had two people in that group that were part of the research team. And when there were ones in the middle, sometimes when it was green, they'd say blue, or sometimes when it was blue, they'd say green. And so they showed that actually these outsiders had more influence over that group than statistically they should have. And we see this over and over. I mean, you think about Einstein who traveled from so many different countries. He was able to transcend culture and expectations and just think differently. Elon Musk, you know, from South Africa and then Canada and like he's all over the place. We see that the people, look at you with your shirt, yeah. So it's like these outsiders are actually the ones that can make the bigger impact. And then the third one is the ability to move on it. So if we think about it on a spectrum, on one side we have speed and on the other side we have accuracy. So if I go under the knife in a hospital, I want my doctor, I want her to take as long as she needs. She can be as accurate as she needs and take as long as she needs, right? But we aren't doctors. Most of what we do, speed is gonna help us more than accuracy. And so doing a blog post, getting that blog post out every week or that YouTube video out, you can always change it. You can always adapt it. You can always edit it. In the business world, almost always speed over accuracy ends up helping us move forward faster. So we go through your internal inclinations. There's an internal inclination quiz uh, that helps you really figure out what's natural, what's not, what do I need to work on? So once we start there, then emotionally we can move into the slowing down and then eventually the killing it. 
Man, you came to such an abrupt stop there that you caught me off guard. I got <laughs> well, I didn't. Well, I didn't know if you wanted me to just like keep plugging along. I thought I'd take a breath, you know. <laughs> Boom! I was like, man, you were getting it, and then we just oh, oh, the brakes. Okay, okay, okay. I, I thought I'd allow the audience to take a breath to let it simmer a little bit, and then yeah, and then so then we're gonna we move into the slowing down. Look at the research and how toxic the hustle culture really is and how we know that over 50% of people say they're not as happy as they expected to be. And we know that people are chronically underslept. When we look at health outcomes, they're just in the tank. And so if we just look at the stats and how we're living, everything points to that we need to slow down. That there's, It's completely unnecessary that we're going at the pace that we're going. Is it though? Is it because, I, and here, I'm gonna interrupt here because I'm, I'm gonna take advantage of that pause you gave me you know, 15 seconds ago. But <laughs> is it absolutely necessary that we slow down? And why do you say that? Because I see people right now, and I was just talking to, to a friend of mine this morning. We talk every day. We're kind of accountability partners and however you want to label it. He slows down more often than I personally have an appreciation for, and he knows this. So how is that advantageous? Yeah, so obviously they're on either end, there, there's a, a bell curve. You know, there's people that slow down and are just lazy sitting around. They're not having great ideas. They're not being curious. They're just lazy. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're not, we're not talking about that. And then on the other end, there's people that are proud of their 90 hour work week. That's just not going to be helpful. So, so let's just even just look at the university of Illinois study that looked at vigilance decrement. So vigilance, how well we pay attention to something decrement, meaning breaking down over time. So there was an idea that the only way we do, we like when we look at a task, pretty much we have a glass of water of energy and it doesn't matter how you do the task you pour it out over time and then you don't have the energy or the focus anymore so this university of illinois study actually showed that if every 20 minutes you take just a one minute break you can totally eliminate vigilance decrement meaning that how you pay attention at the end of a period of time so if you take an hour long and you don't take any breaks you're gonna have vigilance decrement. You're gonna not pay attention at the end as well as you do at the beginning. Whereas if you do 20 minutes, have a one minute break, 20 minutes, one minute break, 20 minutes, there will be no vigilance decrement at the end. So if we just look at the fact that if you just take two minutes out an hour, you're gonna have better outcomes. You're gonna get more done. You're gonna have more focus, especially with boring tasks. So if someone sits down and says, I'm gonna do an hour of email, they sit down for an hour and do an hour of email, they're gonna get significantly less done than if they did 20 minutes, just stood up for a minute, ran up and down the stairs, went outside, took a glass of water, whatever, and then went back in, did 20 minutes, did that again, and then went in for 20 minutes. And so people often think, yeah, I have to hustle, I have to hustle or I won't get things done. Sure, but do it right. Like if you're gonna do it, do it right. And then you're gonna find that you actually get it done faster. And then you can say, well, do I wanna keep hustling? Do I wanna keep adding another task to it? Maybe you do. Maybe you wanna get three more tasks done because you're so productive and you're in that state. Or maybe you decide, I'm gonna bookend this. I'm gonna close my computer, close my email. I'm gonna go do watercolors, gonna go for a walk, gonna go do a plank, whatever your thing is, figuring out that thing that helps your brain reset, then will help you when you decide to go back to killing it. No, it's, it's interesting. And it's funny that you keep mentioning watercolors. My wife just started painting as of late. And okay, it's paint by numbers, but don't tell anybody I told on her. So, but she loves it, dude. It's amazing because she comes to that. And when she's working from home, she'll she'll bang it out. She'll do her thing. And then she'll take a break before she starts doing home stuff at the end of the day. But she'll, she'll end up painting, man. And just in the, what, maybe six, eight weeks that she started doing this, she's banged out a ton of paintings and she's wanting to put them all over the house. We're going to have to have a conversation about that. But, but she's so much more relaxed and so much more engaged and so less stressed. So 
it's interesting that you keep going back to your watercolors because I'm seeing that in action right here at the house. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, and it doesn't have to be watercolors. It doesn't have to be meditation. It's figuring out those things for yourself that are kind of on the menu to say, I'm going to try this for a little bit. You know, what if I did a one minute plank each day? Do I feel more grounded? Do I feel stronger? What if I decided that I was going to just walk a little bit more each day? What, what if I added a green smoothie to my breakfast? You know, just taking these small steps to then just experiment. Maybe you don't feel any better. Okay, don't do it. Maybe meditation for you feels cheesy and that's just too much for you. Okay, I give you permission not to meditate, but figure something out to calm your brain down. <laughs> is that what Ritalin is for? Is that why they give Ritalin? It's like, man, give me some more of that, guys. Come on. No, but I hear what you're saying, and man, I can't agree more. And obviously it's working for you. Again, you are making a serious impact in the industry. And it, it's been amazing. When I found out that you were gonna be on the show, you just started popping up everywhere. I'm like, what, what, what? Wow, this guy is really making waves. So I love what you bring to the table. I love the concept of the book. I'm definitely gonna have to get me a copy and check that out. So tell people more about how they can learn about Joe Sanak and how they can learn more about Thursday is the new Friday, where they can find you and let everybody be able to reach out. Yeah, the book drops on October 5th. And so you can pre-order it or uh, you can order it from your favorite bookstore or Amazon, wherever you get your book. If you get five copies, then you get access to our digital course that we're putting together. If you get 10, we have a mastermind group that's going through the book together. And so that's going to be going throughout uh, November and December. So you can just go to thursdayisthenewfriday.com for all the details on the bulk book buys and submit your receipt if you're doing a bulk book buy. Um, but joesanok.com is where we have all of our experiments. So people are doing experiments from the book saying, okay, I'm going to try to do a four day work week. What's that going to look like in my company or individually? And we know that this isn't going to be my revolution. This is going to be us as a society, as a post pandemic generation saying, we don't want to work like the industrialists have taught us to work. And so we have to learn from each other. So submitting your experiments there, if you're hosting book clubs that are open to other people online, uh, we're going to have lists of book clubs there. So we really want it to be a spot where we collectively can say, we aren't going to stand for overworking and having these terrible health outcomes and not feeling like we're doing our best work. Uh, so that's where we're going to do all of that over at joesanok.com. Sounds awesome. And it brings me back to the early 80s. You know, I, I'm, I'm maybe a little older than you might think I am, but we're not going to take it by Twisted Sister. Let's just live that out. We're not going to take it anymore, folks. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I love the concept. Can't wait to read the book. And I appreciate every minute of your time. Thanks, man. Thanks so much, Larry. Take care.